Okay, so someone is, of course, this is pretty common. They want to set up a company in uh, one of the Emirates, right? In a, in, a, in a free zone. And they're asking about the tax implications, tax and you know, the US tax implications of doing so. Of course, setting up a company is uh, a pretty common means of not just of running your, your business, but also of getting residency in in certain Gulf states. So because you can form your company and that company then sponsors your 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 visa and your Emirates ID or whatever the case may be. So, so that, that is pretty common. But of course, that's a it's a good thing you ask him because it could have tax implications depending on your situation, right? So we look at it in terms of generally speaking. So this is again, we're being very, very general, and you need to get advice specific to your situation. But generally speaking, we look at it where you own a control, you as a US exposed person own a control less than 10%, where you own and control between 10 and 50%, and when you own and control 50%, uh, more than 50%. And when I say you, I mean someone that's US exposed. So if, for example, you may have 30%, but there's another US exposed shareholder that has 30% as well, together, the US shareholders control more than 50%. And then that triggers a certain tax treatment, right? And that's a tax treatment that you really need to look for. This, this where an entity is controlled by U.S. persons, and that's the control foreign corp, because you control you trigger what we call CFC rules. But anyway, if it is that you have less than ten percent, then typically that is okay to the extent that there is less impact on your U.S. tax return. And what do I mean by that? You would, depending on your situation and depending on what your other financial assets may be, it may trigger disclosure on the Form 8938, which is a disclosure of foreign financial assets. Depending, you know, there are various thresholds, but that's one form that you need to look at. But the good thing is that it's kind of like your FBARs in that it is an asset declaration. It doesn't necessarily trigger a tax liability. So that that's that's an important distinction to make. So that that's the eighty nine thirty eight. Uh, there is something called a PFIC or passive foreign investment company, which is mm, it is it is quite nuanced. It's when so again we we're talking about where your interest in a foreign entity is less than ten percent. So a PFIC is a designation you're looking for. It's it's a a designation in the tax law that was created in the 1980s, I think, uh, under President Reagan. So it's code section 1297. So this is where 75% of more of the gross income is classified as passive of this entity. So 75% of more. And what do I mean by passive? Could be interest, dividends, capital gains, stuff like that, but it's passive. Or 50% or more of the assets are held for the production of passive income. And that typically involves real estate or something else that would produce the, the, the passive income, which we, we discussed previously. So if you have that PFIC designation, suddenly it crosses from being an asset declaration to something that can have a real tax impact. And what do I mean by that? You may be subject to 
one of the anti-deferral rules. So in in the U.S. in in the in the U.S. tax law, there are three types of as, uh, income def- uh, anti-deferral rules that you need to kind of keep in mind. There's this PFIC regime, which we're talking about now. There's the subpart F and there's guilty. We'll get on to those other two later. So we're talking about your interest is less than 10%. And if you add up all the other American U.S. exposed shareholders, your collective interest in this entity does not exceed 50%, right? So less than 10%. This, If you trigger this PFIC status, that means that you can be subject to tax on phantom income. What do I mean by that? If the the value of the company or the underlying assets or whatever, depending on the structure, if it increases in value, even though you did not get a distribution, even though you didn't take any dividends, you didn't take any interest, whatever it is, even though you didn't get a distribution, the value has gone up and you may have to pay tax on that, that phantom gain. That's a paper gain. So that's that's a really rough way of describing the the PFIC rules and why it's something to be careful with. There are ways of legally avoiding it, which you can discuss with your preferred advisor, like there's a check the box election and stuff like that. So have a conversation with preferred advisor, but keep in mind 10% or less, you may be exposed to PFIC rules, but definitely depending on your other assets disclosure under the 938, on the form 8938. So what happens if you have uh, ownership or control of between 10 and 50% in this foreign company and there are no other U.S. shareholders, just you, and it's between 10 and 50%. Notice I said ownership or control because I know people like to use nominees. That's a common uh, part of a corporate structure, not just in the Gulf area, but other parts of the world as well. I can say in parts of Southeast Asia where we have quite a few clients. So... When I say control, it keeps in mind or it also extends this conversation to those nominee structures. Even though on paper you may not be there, if it is that you have that, if you have the ability to, you know, exercise influence, you know, you have a share of voice, maybe not a share of value on paper, but share of voice in between those those, uh, thresholds, this would apply to you as well. So you're looking at disclosure on, well, to if it is you made an initial investment, it may trigger a form 926 as well as the existence of your shareholding or your interest or your voice in this foreign entity may, dis, may require disclosure in a form 5471. But it's not like the PFIC. Usually it's not like the PFIC where you may have to pay tax and phantom income. So it's just a disclosure. And so it doesn't normally have uh, an impact on your tax liability. Now, keep in mind that international tax from U.S. international tax is counterintuitive. And what do I mean by that? I mean that typically you would imagine that the Internal Revenue Service pays greater attention to someone who doesn't pay their taxes, right? That just seems to be logical, but <laughs> it's the IRS is not very logical sometimes. And I, we know that it's a bit counterintuitive because they seem to focus more on when you do not disclose activity outside of the U.S., so investment activity or assets outside of the U.S. So, for example, 
if you don't pay your taxes, then of course, you know, penalties or interests or, or whatever. But if you don't disclose like a financial account, that could be up to 50% of the balance in the account. If you don't disclose the existence of your investment in this company in a form 5471, then uh, you're looking at $10,000 per failure to disclose. That that's not a small amount. And if you have one or two free zone companies, like many people do, it just happens, right? That could be $20,000 each. And in terms of the balance in the accounts under the FBARs, up to 50% of the unreported balance. And uh, there's a famous case in, in Florida where, you know, at least famous for us, where we really got up and pay attention a few years ago where this this guy, I think he was a dentist, and he had about a million dollars in an account in Switzerland, which the IRS deemed that he forgot or he, uh, I, I think he was non-willful in, in not disclosing it over three years. But they, the point is they went for the maximum. So he was given, well, three years, a million dollars, so half a million each. So his penalty was $1.5 million in an account with a million dollars in it. So my point is that in, in U.S. international tax, pay special attention to disclosing your investments and inc- disclosing your holdings outside of the U.S. Not just paying your tax bill, but disclosure is really, really important. So, right. so circling back to where we were, that company, that company, which your interest is between 10 and 50%, then you really need to pay attention. Make sure you get your 5471 in for your initial investment, your 926. That's to pay special attention to that because the penalties could be pretty aggressive. And if you have signed signature authority of a corporate bank account, like many people do, even though it's not in your own name, but it's in, and, but you can sign for it. And even if you could, even if you're signing authority, means that you can't sign a check on your own or you can't sign for a transaction on your own. It'll be you plus another director or you plus another C-suite exec. It needs to be declared in your FBAR still. So pay attention to disclosure. So last but not least, it will be a corporate structure where your interest is more than 50% or you plus the other U.S. exposed shareholders exceeds 50%. And by U.S. exposed, uh, not just if you have a U.S. passport, but if you have a green card as well. Or alternatively, you know, it could be you have, you know, Section 7701, substantial presence. You spend a lot of time in the U.S. and intentionally, unintentionally, you you trigger U.S. Uh, tax resident. So if it is that it's more than 50%, you have what is called a CFC or control foreign corp. And suddenly it's not just about disclosure, but there may actually be tax implications. So you may actually trigger certain tax consequences, not disclosure, but a higher tax bill. If it is that you have a controlled foreign corp that it may not, that hasn't been structured in an optimal way. The three regimes that you'd want to pay attention to would be the subpart F, which came around, I think it's in the 1960s. The, uh, what else? Under the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, you have guilty. So I think those are the main ones. We spoke about PFIX already. When it's a CFC, 
if it's a, an entity which can trigger both PFIC and CFC rules, then CFC rules tend to win. So it, it, you look at CFC rules. We've already discussed PFIC. So it's a CFC is a control foreign corp. You have a, a control foreign corp as a U.S. exposed person in one of the free zones. What are the implications, right? You could have uh, what is called a subpart F income. And what is subpart F? That's under section 952, I think, of, of the U.S. tax code. So this is a certain a classification of certain types of income. So this is where you have the interest in the foreign company. And it does, it, it can trigger subpart F status in one of several ways. There, there's insurance income, there is uh, foreign-based company income, there's foreign-based company sales income. So basically, if you have in one, if your company is established in one jurisdiction, but that same company is doing business in another jurisdiction, other than the one in which is incorporated, and especially with a related party, that could, under certain circumstances, trigger subpart F. That's section 952. And then more recently in President Trump's tax cut and jobs act back at the end of 2017, you have the creation of, of, of guilty, which I think is section 951A. So this guilty is global intangible low tax income. And what it does, it, as the name suggests, it focuses on entities that have been incorporated in lower tax jurisdictions. For example, one of the Gulf states, which is obviously very low or zero tax, depending on your structure. And it imposes a minimum tax, which is around 10, 10 and a half percent at this point in time. It's a rather complex formula based on tested income and, and, and stuff like that. But essentially, even though under both the subpart F rules and the guilty rules, the point is that you would have imagined that this company is only taxable to you as this shareholder when there's a distribution, either in the form of dividends or in some sort of salary or compensation, director's fees or something like that. And you would have thought if you were to leave the money in that company, then it would not be taxable to you. So the bad news is under these regimes, it will be taxable to you. So even though you did not take a distribution, you are deemed to have taken a distribution. So again, it's a situation where you're paying tax on phantom income, income that you did not receive. Now, you're not going to be double taxed. So you're not going to pay tax on the money that's earned. And then when you take it out, you're going to be taxed again. No, you're going to create a pool of previously taxed income within the company. And then when you do take that dividend out, they do take that bonus, then you get to offset the tax already paid and you just pay the delta, you pay the difference. But my point is, and I know it's a pretty long-winded answer, that when you have that company in, in the Gulf area, in the UAE, in Dubai, wherever, wherever it may be, you'd want to speak to your advisors uh, to understand, hey, what are the tax implications? And perhaps there, there would be planning opportunities, ways to plan and to structure it in which and it would reduce the compliance burden upon you know the time you need to to do the returns every year and the, the price associated with that, obviously, as well as the tax liability. So that's... That's the, those are the factors you need to consider. I hope that helps get advice. 
So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, we can help you achieve the international lifestyle, the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.